0: Today my guest is Mike Swiganski and he is a remote jobs expert, best-selling author and founder of Global Korea and I'm very excited to have him here because I watched the CNBC video featuring him living in Georgia, Tbilisi and uh, I'm so glad to get connected with him and he's going to share with us his personal experiences, why he's doing what he's doing now, how life is in Georgia, Tbilisi and How the pros and cons of living abroad and do a remote job. So welcome to Fast Track Podcast, Mike.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Yassi. I'm really excited to chat with you more and try to help out uh, whoever's looking to get started with their own global careers.
0: Yeah. Let me start with the first question. Can you tell us or our audience a little bit about yourself? Like you are from U.S. originally, right? Like, How come you ended up living in Georgia, Tbilisi?
1: Yeah, that's a question I get a lot living overseas because a lot of people are trying to do the opposite of what I'm doing. They're trying to move to America. And the big draw for them to move to America is to get a higher salary, to have more opportunities. But in my uh, position, I'm able to run businesses from the United States, generate that U.S. salary, but then live overseas and take advantage of the lower cost of living and increasing my higher quality of life. Um, So... About myself, I'm from Wildwood, Missouri. Uh, I wasn't some like avid traveler from a young age. I think my first international flight was like 18 years old. Uh, before that, was just road tripping with my family uh, when we went on vacation. So we'd be road tripping for 17, 18 hour car rides down to Florida. Uh, and then I guess I kind of caught the travel bug when <clears throat> my dad and my brother and I, we went to, to Europe, we went to Italy And I absolutely loved it there. I decided to uh, study abroad my sophomore year of university in Italy. So that was a a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And that's when I truly like caught the travel bug. I was traveling by myself. I was traveling with friends. And as soon as I got back that summer from studying abroad, uh, one of the student managers of the study abroad program suggested that I apply to be uh, one of the managers for the next year. So it was more or less a two-year sort of internship through the University of Missouri, where you do everything with the study abroad program. You're doing the marketing, you're doing the sales, you're teaching courses through the university. And then in the summer, you're taking students overseas. And they selected me after applying and you know, interviewing and everything. Um, they selected me to lead the Prague study abroad program, uh, which I'd never been to Prague, Uh, So I had to sell people uh, a destination and an experience that I had never actually been to. So it was kind of my first entrepreneurial moment where I was able to try to sell something that I haven't even experienced. So it took a lot of creativity to really come up with a marketing plan, come up with a sales plan. And the thing is the director of study abroad said, Hey, we had seven students uh, last year in Prague study abroad. If we don't get at least 20 students, we're going to have to shut it down. Um, because it just wasn't getting enough traction, so we came up with a really great marketing plan. Just hit the ground running, and we actually maxed it out. There was only the program could only hold the maximum of thirty-five people, so that first year was we able to max it out at thirty-five people, and then the next year grew it to forty-five people, which was again the maximum number amount. So the director of Study Abroad was really happy. The uh, university in Prague was really happy with the results, and of course I was happy because I got to keep doing this internship. So if I hadn't uh, achieved results, then I wouldn't have been able to continue on with this program. So it was my senior year of university. I was interviewing with corporate jobs. And the main side of me really wanted to just go to Europe and try to find work over there. I just absolutely loved it. And so I decided to uh, just essentially book a one-way flight over to Prague. Uh, Once I got there, I started researching, using all my contacts and all my connections Uh, because I'd been working with the university there for two years. They saw kind of the growth and development. Um, And they had me apply for a a teaching position. So I got selected and hired to teach financial economics. uh, And I started a new course there as well. But because, you know, I I had a finance background, I taught two years before through the University of Missouri, They'd kind of seen me already working for the past two years. We had a relationship. So it was kind of like a two-year interview to get this role. Um, but it worked out really well. And I ended up being a professor at the age of 22, essentially, which is a, a, a pretty fun thing to be doing.
0: And uh, yeah, being a professor at age of 22 in a foreign country, a foreign university.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that this was like the big light bulb moment. I showed up in a brand new country, was able to find a job, uh, within a few months. And that was like the moment I was like, okay, I can keep developing my career. I don't have to put my life on hold for a year or two. I don't have to take a gap. Uh, I can continue working, developing my career while still traveling. Like when I was living in Prague, I was traveling. I made it a goal to go to a new country or new city, uh, at least once a month because it's so central. You can hop on a train and for 20, 30 bucks, you can be in a new country which is you know, when you're in Missouri, uh, in the middle of America, uh, to go to a new country takes a lot longer to to get there. So that was a great experience living in Prague. I was based there for about two years. But the teaching life just wasn't the path that I really was passionate about. Uh, It was an amazing experience for that one academic year that I was teaching. But I just kind of was craving something, uh, I guess, that would push me a little bit further and kind of uh, helped me grow even more. So after doing that, I decided to move back to the United States, save up some money. So I got a contract working at Wells Fargo, which is a huge bank, working on the trading floor uh, as a brokerage. And basically working as a broker, I was able to save up money, move to Australia. And Australia has this really nice working holiday visa where you can essentially do any job that an Australian citizen can do. You just have to apply online, and then I got approved. And oh, uh, be young
0: enough, right? Be young enough. Yeah, there, there
1: is there is some some requirements. Uh, you have to be under a certain age uh, for Australia, New Zealand. But now a lot of countries are offering similar programs uh, because that was kind of like the big hurdle at the time was getting this working visa. Uh, because a lot of times you can go as a tourist, but you can't really work legally. So. I was able to do the working holiday visa in in Australia, do the working holiday visa in New Zealand. And I was working for tech companies when I was there. A lot of people that go to these countries for these working holiday visas, they focus on finding kind of what I consider backpacker jobs, which is working at a hostel, working at a bar, um, picking fruit in a farm. And none of that was really interesting to me. I think it's a great experience. But I was like, I want to find something that, again, is going to kind of help build my career. So I was focusing on like actual career oriented jobs. And everyone who I met who was a foreigner was focused on these other types of jobs. So I think I kind of had a, a big advantage there because, you know, they saw like nobody else was really competing for these, uh, these jobs at these tech companies. So I ended up working for a tech startup, really loved it, was living in Sydney, absolutely had a great work-to-life balance, was able to work remotely. This was like kind of my first experience with remote working around 2015. And it was remote working, but I still had to be based in Sydney.
0: So the company is in Sydney, but yeah. you can work from home or Yeah, so
1: it was kind of based in Sydney. It was more of like a hybrid remote working. So it was like three or four days working from home, two or three days going into the office, uh, going into meetings in the city and stuff. So it was a, a good flexibility um, between, you know, work life balance there, working remotely, and kind of my first introduction. So when I was there, I actually uh, had been in touch with a mentor who I met while I was working at a university in Prague. So to backtrack a bit there, uh, this mentor of mine, um, he was on his sabbatical in Prague. We became good friends. He kind of uh, saw that I had really, you know, had a lot of ambitions in life. And suggested I apply for an MBA program in South Korea. So while I was in Australia, I was like, okay, this is a a great opportunity. Uh, I should apply for this MBA program. And I got accepted, uh, was able to get a full scholarship. Uh, They were going to pay for my my tuition, my flight, my housing, uh, set me up with a job while I was there. And so I was kind of like, I love my life in Sydney, but I was like, this is just too good of an opportunity um, to not go to South Korea and experience this. So then I moved to South Korea from Sydney, Uh, was studying in Gwangju uh, for my MBA program and studying at a university there for about about two, two and a half years. And as soon as I graduated, I spent about six months just living in Seoul trying to find non-teaching jobs, uh, which is very difficult in South Korea. Uh, It's not impossible, but uh, the, the hard part about it is they have a separate visa class for uh, teaching. So essentially, you know, they, they they want a lot of English teachers, they pay them some of the most highly paid teachers in the world is South Korea. And I just graduated my MBA. So I wanted to pursue something a little bit different. Um, and basically, I was on a work looking for work visa, which is kind of this like purgatory where it doesn't allow you to work. It just allows you to look for work, but nobody wants to hire you unless you have a work visa. <laughs> because they have to sponsor you and everything. So it's a little bit complicated. Uh, They do have some now like working holiday visas there as well, uh, if you meet certain criteria. Uh, But anyways, I tried that for six months, wasn't able to find anything really consistent. Uh, I was doing a lot of odd jobs. I was like working as a model, doing like voice acting. I had a part-time marketing job, which was only like 15, 20 hours a week. Uh, So overall, it was a great experience. I loved it. Uh, but I decided, Hey, this just is like a little bit too hard to find something that I'm looking for. So I decided to go do the working holiday visa in New Zealand. And essentially uh, within a week or two of showing up, I just hit the ground running. I didn't have a ton of money saved up. I think I had like the bare minimum that you needed to go to New Zealand, which was like 3000 US dollars or something. Yeah.
0: Is that, was that the second time you did the working holiday visa? So
1: the first one was in Australia. The second one was ah, okay. in New Zealand. Yes. Yeah, so this was like the, the only one opportunity that I, I did it. Um, so I moved to New Zealand within like a week or two, I found a job just because I was like, I'm going to spend 50, 60 hours a week applying for jobs. Was like, okay, my full-time job now is to find a job. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and then I found a job very quickly, um, working for again, another tech startup. And this was in the travel space. So it was like perfect for kind of what I was looking for. And again, it was fully remote. I just had to be in Auckland um, to meet up with the owners of the business. And overall, it was a great experience, but they ran out of money. It was just like, it was a travel magazine that was trying to like, kind of be be like a tech company, but it just didn't work uh, in the end. And they ran out of money. And then I spent... four months working and then two months traveling around New Zealand. And while I was traveling, I applied for another uh, tech startup company, uh, which was 100% remote. You would do six to nine months of training in person, and then you could work from anywhere. And I got hired on to be uh, a marketing strategist for this tech startup. And they were getting started in Vietnam, but they were an American-based company. And essentially, I was employee number four uh, and essentially, we helped build this company into one of the fastest growing companies in the United States, grew it to hundreds of, different, of, hundreds of people working fully remote all around the world. Uh, so it was a, a real wild ride, kind of building this, uh, this huge tech startup. And the background of this business is a brokerage, which helps people buy and sell profitable online businesses that have been curated. Uh, so the company's name is Empire Flippers. And What the great thing about this company was, it was a remote company. So it taught me a lot about remote work, building remote teams, hiring remote talent all around the world, um, you know, just being able to build culture with a remote team. Uh, And then it also taught me a lot about online businesses. So it taught me everything that goes into, you know, what makes a good online business. And essentially, I helped broker $120 million worth of these online businesses So I got to see what successful businesses looked like, how they got started, how they were able to really grow and scale. And um, it's kind of been extremely knowledgeable to learn about this industry. And I still help entrepreneurs sell their businesses. And I still help buyers buy these businesses because it really is the fastest way to, to success is to acquire an already established online business. You know, these businesses have two or three years of profitability. They have year over year growth. They have a lot less risk than starting a business from scratch. Starting a business from scratch, you know, can take two to three years to get profitable. It can, and there's no guarantee of success with that. So that was kind of uh, where I, I learned a lot of knowledge about marketing and digital marketing and just how to build businesses and how to grow businesses. Um, But around 2018, about two years into working for this company, I started building my own side hustles, started acquiring my own businesses, and eventually my side hustles were just um, performing as good as my salary. So I decided to, after fully vesting my four years at Empire Flippers, decided to um, just go fully into building my own brand. So I published...
0: Sorry, what is your side hustle at that moment? Is that you acquire other online business and you're running those businesses?
1: So I, uh, in 2018, I published my book, which is Global Career. So that was part of the business, book sales. Then I have like a remote job website. Uh, then I have consulting and courses alongside teaching people how to find remote jobs, how to travel better, how to travel hack, which is getting free and cheap flights. Uh, and then also I offer services to help people acquire businesses and help people sell their businesses. So that's kind of started in 2018. And then I acquired a software business in 2019 and a few other like content websites throughout the uh, next few years. So all in all, these businesses are fairly passive. Like my software business takes around one or two hours a month to maintain because I've outsourced and hired uh, all the essential things to be done by somebody else. Uh, So that's kind of the the position is building my portfolio of these passive businesses and also helping uh, other people buy and sell online businesses. So there's a lot of things that I'm doing i have got a lot of other projects in the works too. So it's been a really fun experience so far.
0: I'm very interested in this topic of buying selling online business because uh, I interview a lot of guests. They were talking about how to build an online business so you can work from anywhere. But to think about that, like you said, a lot of business fail. Why not just buy it from someone who already established the process and the business? Maybe it's also already profitable and then take it over. Can you you take us through the process? Why somebody wants to sell the business and how to acquire it, how to evaluate it?
1: Yeah, so it's a fascinating industry and it's really changed over the last two years. There's literally billions of dollars of funds that have realized, hey, we can buy these businesses and grow them. There's no other asset class where you can essentially from day one, go and start tinkering and start growing the business. Um, So one example of my software business that I acquired, uh, I was able to buy it from day one. I had, I already had a growth strategy because I looked at the business, saw a lot of potential where I could grow it and was able to recoup my investment back in nine months, which is a crazy for any type of uh, investment class to get your, your initial investment back in nine months. And then now it's essentially more than 10 X in profit from what I bought it from. So it's, it's essentially one of these things where you can find these businesses. And the reason a lot of times people are selling it is they have a lot of projects. So the business I bought, this person had five or 10 other businesses that they're running. They just didn't have the time to really dedicate to this one project. Uh, They did a few things in their sort of uh, tool belt to try and grow it. Uh, They saw that it was just kind of, they did everything they knew how to do to grow it uh, and were looking to sell it. Uh, A lot of times people wanna use the money from that business. Let's say they have two or three businesses for business A, every dollar they invest, they get $5 back in profit. But business B, they invest, every dollar they invest, they get $10 back in profit and business C, every dollar they invest, they get $20 back. So if they sell business A and B, uh, they can use that revenue or that money from the sale to invest in business C. And a lot of times these businesses require a lot of cash flow, So that's a common thing is why somebody would sell a business. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people just lose interest. Maybe they were super passionate about this business, but after running it for two or three years, they're like, Hey, I just want to uh, get the money invested in something else. Maybe something like in." buy a sell your digital real estate, buy real real estate, physical real estate. Uh, so there's all sorts of reasons and it's definitely uh, varies per business. And as far as valuations, the great things about these businesses, uh, they're essentially in, a, in an asset class called uh, micro assets, which is normally $10 million and below. Most of these businesses are going to be based and valued primarily on profit. So it'll be, if you take the, the last 30 months of net profit, uh, that's going to give you a good average of what they'll be worth. So if your business is making $10,000 a month in net profit, you could sell that business for around $300,000. Uh, again, there's going to be a lot of variation of what if you get a 30X multiple or a 60X multiple, depending on the industry, the type of business, you have recurring monthly, uh, monthly recurring revenue. Uh, is it an industry that's going to be evergreen? Uh, So all these factors go into, you know, whether your business is going to sell for $300,000 or $600,000. And essentially, I help sellers try to get that higher valuation by making changes in their business, by trying to structure it in a way that makes it more appealing for buyers. And then on the buy side, I help people find these businesses, uh, find something that's going to align with the skill sets they have. uh, And then I help them implement a growth plan to grow the business as soon as they uh, acquire it. So it's a really great industry. Basically, uh, if you've got an extra 100K of capital uh, sitting around, you can buy these cash flowing businesses. And the great thing about them is they're cash flowing from day one. Um, If you essentially do nothing, you should get your profit back, your initial investment back in 30 to 60 months, um, depending on the business. But a lot of times you can grow these businesses and get it back a lot faster.
0: Sounds very interesting. Um, My next question would be, you know, maybe a lot of people might think, okay, once they acquire those business and they're not experts in this domain, this industry, they don't have experiences, you know, how can they successfully manage and grow the business that they're going to acquire? Or should they acquire something that they're already very familiar with?
1: Yeah, so I would say uh, definitely I try to help people align their skills and their knowledge with a business that there's not going to be so overwhelming. And there's certain businesses that are generally just a lot more complicated and harder to run. Um, A lot of these websites are fairly easy. They don't really need to understand too much. But again, you know, if you do have no sort of online business experience, if you struggle to open up zoom or download zoom, or like, you're going to probably struggle with an online business, but if you have some tech skills Uh, if you're familiar with WordPress, a lot of these blogs are fairly easy. And the thing is the, the person who you're buying it from usually trains you for like 30 to 60 days. So you're not just getting handed the keys and say, good luck. They're going to show you for two to three months, um, depending on what type of business, how complicated it is. Um, they're going to show you how to run the business and how to do all the day-to-day operations. Uh, but some of them are very simple. Like a lot of these businesses are content websites. It's essentially just a blog that's ranking very high on Google for a certain niche. Let's say like best office chairs. They're ranking number one on Google for best office chairs. It's getting a ton of searches. They make money through affiliate marketing, advertisement. They have a writer in place that goes in, writes articles. They've got the next two years of content outlined already. You just buy it. Uh, essentially, take over the cash flow. Maybe you can implement some SEO tactics to help grow it. Uh, But yeah, that's essentially one of the simpler business models. But then you have more complicated stuff, which might be in the software space or the physical product space, where you're essentially ordering products from China. You're sending them to Amazon to be fulfilled by Amazon. Uh, And this is called FBA. And these business models can take a different set of skill than running a content business. Um, There's a lot more cash flow involved because you have to order, you know, thousands of dollars worth of product to send to Amazon. You have to pay fees and you have to kind of understand different areas of the business. Uh, Some of these can be a little bit more complex. They can have 50 or hundred products. Some of them could be just one product uh, doing really well on Amazon. So uh, even the same business model, you know, you look at two businesses, they can be a lot more complex and complicated. So it really is one of those things I I try to help people that I work with is what is your kind of expertise level? What is a business that's going to be the best fit for you? And what is your risk tolerance? Some businesses are genuinely going to be more risky. Uh, And that's the thing. I think that's what's kind of holding back the industry. It's usually not a lot of uh, the funding isn't holding it back. It's the number of operators that can actually run these businesses. Uh, But yeah, depending on your skill level, that's kind of my sort of uh, sales pitch as I help them run the business a little bit. I'm always there to help them after they do the acquisition, after the seller of the business has kind of um, fulfilled their duties. I'm there to like help them uh, grow it and make sure that, you know, they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And um, is that how you manage your online, your own online business? Like you're helping your clients remotely? And where are they, where are most of those clients coming from?
1: Yeah. So uh, pretty much everyone's remotely. I, I only, the only physical person in here is uh, I have an assistant who's local. Uh, but yeah, most of my, my team is overseas based all around the world. And most of the people I'm working with are mostly U S based or North America. Um, yeah. As far as like running stuff though, it's, I try to run and pick up things that are passive or going to need a, a lot of front loading work. So maybe it'll take two to three months of my time to front load and figure out the processes but after that, then it's just kind of uh, essentially on autopilot. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of businesses, they just get in this mode of tinkering or doing things that aren't actually impacting the bottom line. So I, th- I think I really try to put an emphasis on what's going to have the biggest impact from day one. Um, so when I acquired this software business, there was a few really easy, what, I, what we call low-hanging fruits. Um, one of the first things I, I asked the seller, I was like, hey, what pricing uh, tiers did you test? And he goes, I didn't test any pricing. I just picked this product because you know other people are charging this much for similar software. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to double the pricing until like, uh, things flatline. And so I just continued doubling the price until it kind of uh, evened off. And I saw like, okay, this is the, the perfect price point. So that was one strategy to really grow the business. And I think a lot of people don't try to do this. They try to do a million other things, but try to like split test their pricing. Uh, So that was something that worked really well for me. And with a physical product, uh, it could be a little bit more difficult with a digital product that I was selling. uh, It's a lot easier. You go in there, change the price and uh, you hit publish. And like 10 seconds later, it's changed. So that was one real easy thing I did. The, The second thing I did, was what I can, what I call CRO or conversion rate optimization, which is essentially just looking at the page that the the landing page, adding more testimonials, adding more details, uh, adding more calls to action. Uh, And one thing that worked really well for me was just adding an exit intent one-time offer coupon. Uh, So essentially when people were about to leave the checkout, they'd be like, Oh, you can get $10 off right now, but this is the only time. Uh, And that has worked extremely well so between that um teaming up with some uh, kind of industry experts to promote the business with as as affiliates um, between those ways i was able to grow this business really quickly after the acquisition
0: Well, okay amazing you are really a business expert and coming back to where you are right now right you're running uh, multiple business from georgia tbilisi uh, people might ask you know why you pick Georgia why you pick okay by the way Georgia is not in the U.S. there is another country yeah. in Europe called Georgia and like how did you ended up there why do you choose to
1: live there yeah so I was before I was living in Tbilisi I was living in uh, Medellin Colombia and essentially I had w- been based there for a few years I absolutely loved Colombia but the safety concern just kind of became a, a real thing I had a lot of friends that had is- issues And this wasn't, you know, the person that was doing something, you know, bad and was like, okay, you're, you're in, you're putting yourself in a bad scenario. It's just like, Hey, I was walking down the street in broad daylight, or I was in an Uber uh, and got held up by a gunpoint. So I was like, okay, I want to get out and get to somewhere safer. So I was looking at countries that had really uh, a lot of safety and Georgia is one of the safest countries uh, in the world, actually. Um, they say that it's even statistically as safe as Switzerland, which is really cool to hear. Uh, So basically, that was one issue. I was looking for that. Uh, The second thing was the visa situation is extremely welcoming in Georgia. You can show up here with your passport. And it's not just Americans. It's around, I think, 150 countries or something are eligible to come to Georgia for one year, show up with their passport, and they can stay here and live here for that one year. So I decided to come here for a month, see how I liked it. Uh, Then COVID happened. And essentially that one month turned into almost two years of, you know, the borders were closed. The whole world was kind of shut down. But after a month, I loved it here and kind of decided to stay long-term. And this has been my, my sort of travel hub. So I'm based here around probably eight months out of the year and the other four months I'm traveling around, not always like four months at a time, but. Um, here and there like I just got back from from visiting Baku in Azerbaijan, uh, and Azerbaijan nice. and celebrating my 100th country so a few friends and wow. I went, went down to celebrate
0: <laughs> okay do you need a visa to Azerbaijan
1: uh, you need an online visa it took like you know five minutes it was like 25 dollars but yeah you do okay. need a, an online visa for there depending on which what your nationality is yeah
0: I asked this because I was joking because I know for Swiss passport holder they also need a visa to go to Azerbaijan i'm not sure if it's this online visa thing but for me i don't need a visa so like i can oh, visit good. four more countries uh without a visa than swiss passport holder
1: <laughs> oh wow that's great yeah i actually i, I loved it there it was a beautiful city uh, really friendly people extremely clean uh one of the cleaner cities that i've been to uh so i really enjoyed it great time uh but again you know I think you can only stay for 30 days as American. And that just kind of shows like the contrast. Like you get back to Georgia, here you go, yeah. one year. Yeah. And then after that one year, you can just go to Armenia or a nearby country, like an hour away, and then come back again for another yeah. year. Visa so, run. <laughs> yeah, visa run. So uh, it's definitely a very welcoming country, especially to foreigners.
0: And is there a reason why they do that? Do they want to attract more business, more foreigners, or does there any tax benefit?
1: So I think there's a lot of things. I think they're just trying to attract more people in general and more people f- that are going to bring more money in. Uh, and I think for my example, you know, the cost of living is low here. So an expat is probably going to spend maybe four or five times more than the average uh, local family. Um, depending on, you know, the, the expat and what country they're from. And I think they're trying to attract those people that are going to, one, not take jobs or compete for local jobs. And two, they're going to buy more real estate, they're going to be a positive impact on the community. Uh, and generally, overall, uh, every Georgian that I've met has been extremely welcoming um, to have foreigners in their country and uh, to kind of have the the country start growing. And I think they're they're trying to attract more of these, these types of individuals here.
0: Um, are there any benefits for business owners or entrepreneurs? I mean, in terms of income tax or corporate tax or rebate, et cetera. Yeah. I think,
1: I think they have a 1% tax, uh, law here. Um, but again, I'm not a tax expert. It varies so much from what country you're from. If you're American, uh, essentially if you're American, you still have to pay taxes in the U S uh, kind of follows you everywhere, but other countries um, they can set up a tax structure here. That's a little bit more beneficial for them than someplace in Europe. So it really varies like what your business structure is, where your income's coming from, what country you're from, what nationality you're from. Uh, so you definitely need to talk to uh, a tax expert, but there is some great benefits here. Uh, they do have a low um, sort of tax rate for, for everyone.
0: Mm, nice to hear that. Um... Do you have any other last minute message or advice to your audience if they want to start, a, let's say, online business or work remotely to allow them to visit different countries, have the flexibility with their own time? Like where can they start?
1: Yeah, so I, I always try to like gauge people what they want to do. There's pretty much three ways to start working as a digital nomad or working remotely so you can get a remote job you can start freelancing, or you can go into entrepreneurship. Those are the three main paths. Uh, so choosing one of those paths is going to be the, the fastest way to do that. And for me, finding a remote job is probably the fastest way because and the least amount of risk. You can start having somebody else pay your salary and you can work remotely. Uh, freelancing, again, is a great way. And I, I always try to like recommend doing a hybrid approach where, hey, uh, get a remote job first, Start freelancing, building that side hustle. So either do freelancing or entrepreneurship because that really reduces your risk overall uh, in being successful. So that's kind of what I recommend uh, with people is like where you're at. If you're working an office job, look at getting a remote job. If you've already got a remote job, then start a side hustle through freelancing or building a business. Uh, And I think that's the best path to go. And if you need help with any of that, feel free to reach out to me. I help kind of in all of these areas uh, in helping people get started with, uh, you know, what took me five to 10 years to kind of figure out. I try to help fast track people into a lot shorter timeline.
0: Yeah. And then the last question would be, how can people get in touch with you, your social media, your email address, your websites? Um, Please share it here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So globalcareerbook.com is probably the best place to go. It has uh, information on everything I offer. It has links to my book, uh, links to get in touch. And yeah, or if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Mike Spagunski, or on Instagram, Mike Spagunski as well. I'm probably most active on there, so if you send me a message, I'm pretty good at getting back to you. Probably a little bit better on Instagram um, at applying replying to messages, but as long as you say, "Hey, I've listened to you on this podcast," uh, I'll get back to you.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Mike. And feel free to contact you, my audience.
1: Yeah, I love hearing from people, and if you're ever in Tbilisi. Uh, feel free to reach out. And as far as you, as you as well, Yasi, hopefully we'll we'll cross paths somewhere.
0: I think soon. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.